0: and a spot in the national championship game. It's on the way, no good! He hooked it, and Georgia is gonna survive! At the stroke of midnight, the first few seconds of 2023, Ohio State falls one kick short. Always college football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT and T Five G. Too much college football is never too much with AT and T Five G. Hello and welcome in. Happy New Year! Today is Monday, January second, twenty twenty three, and we appreciate you being with us. We hope that you've had a tremendous weekend. What a weekend it was for college sports! It was off the charts. So much entertaining action. So many incredible outcomes. I called two games in less than 24 hours, both of which were incredible. I'm telling you, it was about as good as it gets for all of us here at always College Football. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. It has been a terrific week of bowl season. It's been a terrific week of games and matchups and performances. And of course, we're going to spend most of our day today talking about those semifinal matchups. Just epic games on both sides. I was trying to think, to be honest with you, which one was better. And I was, uh, I'm not sure I can choose. I'm not sure I have to choose. It's like picking between your two children. That's how good it was. Ohio State loses late on what was an incredible comeback. And then, of course, TCU shocks the world in some ways. Not all of us. We weren't shocked. Uh, We thought that game would come down to the wire. Ultimately, I thought Michigan would win. TCU prevails in what was a statement game about where their program really is. Look, we're not going to take a whole lot of time just waiting to preview these games. Let's get to it. It's now time for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. TCU hangs on in what was a thriller in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. Just an incredible performance. 51 points scored for the TCU Horn Frogs (laughs) A ridiculous number. We thought this game would be high scoring. We thought it'd be a bit of a track meet. We kind of liked the over in the first half. We talked about all those things, but I don't think any of us. I, I know I certainly didn't. I didn't anticipate 96 total points. I thought maybe, you know, 65, which would have been comfortably over the over, I might add. The over was 56. Yeah, try like almost doubling that up to 96, man. It was absolutely incredible, and they finally, they finally get it done for the Big 12. The Big 12 going into Saturday's games was 0-4 in the college football playoff semifinal, and of course, all four of those losses were by the Oklahoma Sooners. So TCU, first time in, first time victory, they get it done for the league as a whole. It was by far the most, you know, the most combined points in the playoff era, uh, with the exception of Georgia and Oklahoma, of course, that went to overtime. So either way, just a ridiculous game. All things considered, Michigan and TCU in nineteen, uh, excuse me, in twenty nineteen, LSU and Oklahoma combined for ninety one points. In twenty thirteen, Missouri and Auburn combined for one hundred one points. And in 2018 Georgia and Oklahoma the aforementioned Georgia and Oklahoma they combined for 102 points. So really only one other semifinal game that was close, LSU and Oklahoma of course was was somewhat close 96-91 points in that game. It was action packed there in the third quarter. Thought after the first half, hey, you know, maybe things will kind of slow down a little bit. Maybe things will start to kind of find their way and maybe you know Michigan's defense will settle in. TCU's defense, they'll start to bow up a little as well. 44 combined points in the third quarter. It was the highest scoring quarter in college football playoff history. The previous mark was the fourth quarter of the 2016 National Championship game between Alabama and Clemson. They combined for 40 points in the fourth quarter. You remember that fourth quarter? There's kick return for the house. You had the onside kick. You had just really, for the most part, a track meet in that game as Alabama outlasted Clemson. But either way, 44 points in the third quarter alone, and people were sitting here thinking, yeah, I don't know, man. man. Michigan's kind of a ball control team. Not so much anymore. (laughs) They could score, and that's why you thought that this Michigan team might have a chance to actually win it all, because if the game became a shootout, they were very comfortable scoring points. They were very comfortable being able to keep up in a game like that. This is going to be wild when we get to the national championship. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about what this means to TCU. Look, this is their first time in a national championship game. And they'll look to win their first national championship since 1938. And if the Horn Frogs do win the title... They would have gone 83 years between championships. Double check my math, if you will, because it's, you know, it might not be perfect. But based on the way I'm kind of adding it all up, 83 years between championships, that would be the longest spans between titles in the AP poll era. The next closest, by the way, would be Auburn, who won a title in 1958 and then went on to win a title with Cam Newton in 2010. Check my math here, but that's 52 years between the two championship seasons. So it would be a ridiculous record being broken if TCU can ultimately get it done. There are coaches in the past that have won the national championship in their first year at their school. Larry Coker won it the first year at his school in 2001. Dennis Erickson Won a title in his first year in 1989. Thing about those two guys, they were both at the same school. <laughs> they were both at Miami. And then old Bernie Osterbahn won it for Michigan back in 1948. Who doesn't remember the 48 season there for the Wolverines with Big Big, Big Benny, Big Barry, Big Benny Oosterbahn, or whatever it is? All right. Either way, Sonny Dykes. 13 wins in his first year, only one head coach in major college football history has won 14 or more games in his first season at a school. That was back in 1892. Of course, who doesn't remember when George W., George Washington Woodruff. No, not the president, George Washington Woodruff. He went 15-1 and in his first year at Penn. All right, so uncharted territory for the TCU Horned Frogs. Let's talk about the game itself. How about TCU's defense? Look, I know we're going to sit here, and I can't believe the first thing out of my mouth when describing this game is the defense. Well, TCU's defense creating a couple turnovers, creating turning those turnovers into points, that was the difference maker in the game. I and mean, this is a team that we had said in the secondary, this is a really good group. If you really look at their site, we already know that they have Trey Hodges-Tomlinson. They have the Thorpe Award winner. But we knew when you kind of watched them, we knew that there was a little bit more to that secondary group. Remember, they're a Big 12 team. If there's one thing that the Big 12 has done remarkably well at times is they've had good secondaries. Yeah, they've gotten torched by good offenses from time to time too in the last decade and change, but that's really started to shift the last few years. They have good secondary players, and TCU showed that throughout the course of the game on Saturday afternoon. They ever, you know, they obviously went, in the end, statistically speaking, no, it was not a great performance. They gave up 528 yards of offense. They gave up 342 through the air. They gave up a bunch of big plays, but the two interceptions clearly proved to be one of the biggest aspects of why TCU ultimately won the game. That was a big part of it too, man. When they got inside the five yard line, just couldn't finish. They just couldn't finish. And when you really think about it, that was the determinant in the game. Touchdowns versus field goals. Michigan settled for three field goals. They also got stopped inside the two or three-yard line twice. That was ultimately why they lost the game. Then, TCU and Max Duggan, they throw the interception. Sandra still returns it eight yards at the TCU 45. So they're cooking yet again. They go right down the pl- field. Three plays. Touchdown. To Ronnie Bell, now we got a ball game, ladies and gentlemen. 21-16, and we're off to the races. Starting to think, oh boy, you know TCU's going to get tight, right? Like TCU's got to be getting tight at this point. Here comes the big bad Wolverines. Great second half football team. They've already outscored TCU by 10 in the first 7 minutes, 8 minutes, 10 minutes of the third quarter. Well, this was, I thought, a pivotal moment in the game for TCU to be able to answer with the Amari DiMicardo one-yard touchdown run and what was a really solid, solid drive. But it all set up, obviously, on the long throw from Max Duggan to Quentin Johnson to 46-yard gain to get you inside Michigan's 30-yard line on the first play from scrimmage. That was a tremendous response. Tremendous response. And then, of course, again, you pick off J.J. McCarthy again. D. Winners gets it this time and he takes it to the house. Now it's 34-16 and Michigan's going to be in comeback mode from the very beginning. Michigan answers J.J. McCarthy with that 20-yard touchdown run after he had that long run down the right sideline. Now it's 34-22 after they failed on the third on the two-point conversion. Then been a theme right here at least here in the fourth in the third and fourth quarters. As soon as Michigan gets some positive momentum, TCU pulls it right back. Demarcado, that 70-yard run, and then Max Duggan finishes it off with a one-yard run. Back and forth game at this point. Ultimately, at the very end, it wasn't to be. I thought the end-of-game sequence was unfortunate. I felt bad for Michigan with how it ended, but ultimately, TCU was the better team. I know an errant snap is never how you want to see the game end. And if I'm going to be completely honest, being completely honest, I thought it was targeting at the very end. I really did. I thought he led with the crown of his helmet. I thought he caught at least a piece of the ball carrier and I thought the officials got that one wrong as well. So there were two critical mistakes at least in the ball game by the officials. One I don't think Michigan deserved to get bailed out either at the very end, I might add. Had they had the targeting, it would have been a complete bailout, and that would not have been well deserved. On fourth and ten, you have a miscommunication, you have an errant snap, and you all of a sudden are rewarded because the defender had poor tackling fundamentals. I wouldn't have been cool with that. So either way, Michigan loses the game. TCU was the better team, and they'll know they'll now go out and try to win their first national championship in 83 years. The Georgia Bulldogs punched their ticket to the national championship by pulling off a remarkable comeback in the fourth quarter, knocking off the Buckeyes on the strength of a terrific two-minute operation from Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense. This was awesome. This game was incredible. Incredible. And when you look at that game in particular and what a national championship would mean for Georgia, what a national championship would mean for TCU. I think Georgia, everyone's going to say, obviously it would mean more for TCU. Georgia won the last year, but to win back to back national championships for the first time in a decade, the last team to do it was Alabama in 2011 and 2012. So it's been a while since this has actually gone down, but either way, man, I'm telling you very exciting, game there in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl. I want to first start by giving tremendous credit. Tremendous credit to the Ohio State Buckeyes. I thought they played a beautiful game. I did. I thought they played so well. I'm going to tell you exactly where they screwed up in a moment, but they played so well in the game. They really did. And I thought Ryan Day, you could make a case it was his best game as Ohio State's head coach. You really could. He called... A terrific game with the exception of a handful of plays. We'll get to those in a moment. But Ryan Day had his team ready to play. He had his team ready to take advantage from a skill position standpoint against Georgia. And if there's one thing that we learned, Georgia's secondary got a little bit exposed. It had been a question about Georgia all season long. We thought it get exposed maybe against Tennessee thought it would get exposed at some point, maybe playing against one of those teams out of the SEC East, maybe thought week one would get exposed against Oregon, who had a pretty high-powered offense, but it hadn't up to this point because the pass rush was able to neutralize any issues that the opposing team and the opposing quarterback might have. However, C.J. Stroud, I know it was in a losing effort. I think it was his best game as a Buckeye when you consider the competition. C.J. Stroud was phenomenal. Y'all, we had talked too. how many times did you and I talk about when CJ Stroud got harassed, when he was moving in the pocket, when he got hit, how his play dipped just a little bit. It did simple as that. I mean, I, I thought that when CJ Stroud moved off the spot, he was kind of like a young Tom Brady. If Tom Brady back in 2002, 2003, 2004 and five, if you moved him just a little bit, he wasn't the same guy. Now, if he's stationary, he's going to absolutely destroy you. But if you move him just a little bit, if you hit him a little bit, might not be the same guy. Well, we learned that that wasn't the case with CJ Stroud because I counted at least four different examples in which he had an, a defender that is just coming at him full speed. Full speed. And we're not talking about edge defenders where you can spin out and make plays. Those are a little bit more easy to manage. If you have an edge defender coming at you and you spin out and you go and you can find and locate on the perimeter after you spin out and you got lots of room, that's one thing. You know what's a whole lot more difficult? When it, your d- guards get absolutely worked by the defensive tackle and they whiff because you have to move and dodge and still keep your eyes downfield and locate a wide receiver. I thought he played a phenomenally good game. Finished... 23 of 34 for 348 and four touchdowns, a total QBR of nearly 94. The fact that that was in a losing effort is insane. Just an incredible performance whatsoever. And to do it also, there were examples in which he kept plays alive. I mean, there were examples in which he turned nothing into something. Did so again on the final drive of the game. Had a Awesome, 27-yard run right down the middle to get the Buckeyes to the 30-yard line in a two-minute operation. At that point, you're feeling pretty good about your chances of getting your field goal kicker on the field to knock it through the uprights. I thought he played a beautiful game. Other guys that played phenomenal, Ameka Ibuka played phenomenal. Marvin Harrison Jr. played phenomenal. I thought Julian Fleming stepped up big time when Marvin Harrison Jr. went down there late in the third quarter after a really big hit. Maybe it was the fourth quarter. I don't recall exactly when it was, but it was the big hit that knocked him out. Julian Fleming stepped up in his absence, and maybe the unsung hero of the entire Buckeye team was Xavier Johnson. He didn't lead the team in rushing, but it did feel at times like he was the most efficient ball carrier, and then he also added three receptions for 43 yards as well. But the night was Stetson Bennett's. The night was the Georgia Bulldogs they ultimately did what it had to be done to win the semifinal game against the Buckeyes. Stetson finished 23 of 34 for 398 and three touchdowns against just that one interception. That one interception was big early. It was a bad decision, but it was created by that Ohio State pass rush. They forced him up into the pocket where I don't think he could see really well. I thought all game long, Ohio State's pass rush did a really good job of containing Stetson Bennett. Some of the best things that he does is as he escapes, as he moves, as he runs, he finds guys and he can create with his own legs. Well, he finished with negative 18 rushing yards. What does that tell you? Stetson is excellent as it relates to the run game. And when he finishes with negative 18, you know that the team has certainly done their job. I thought it was a really good performance from Arian Smith, man. Awesome had a couple of huge plays in the game, especially the one late there, early in the fourth quarter. You get him matched up with the safety, and look, Lathan Ransom. That's not his fault. I mean, you get the fastest wide receiver on Georgia's roster matched up with the safety. That's go time. When you're the starting quarterback, you know I'm gonna take a. Sh- I'm taking that shot. I'll take that chance. That can't happen. Those matchups. For Ohio State, absolutely cannot happen. It felt similar, frankly, in some ways, to 2020 when they played against Alabama in the national championship. Tough Borland was the guy that constantly got matched up against Devontae Smith and the Bama wide receivers. He was a middle linebacker. That's not a good matchup. Similar thing happened. Actually, Arian Smith was matched up with Tommy Eichenberg in a Tampa 2 situation. Two safeties go wide. Middle linebacker takes the middle third. Well, guess who's running down to the middle third? Arian Smith. You get a linebacker on the fastest wide receiver. That's bad ball for the defense. Lathan Ransom, for example, you get a safety on the fastest wide receiver with the receiver going vertical and no help over the top. Guess what? That's bad for business. Lathan Ransom falls down. He catches it. He's out the gate for a long score actually a 76-yard score, to be exact. So that was a massive play in the game. The run game, I thought, for the most part, in the first half was off the charts good. Of course, they created a couple big plays. McIntosh got out before he got tackled by the turf monster. And then, of course, Dejon Edwards. I thought he did a pretty adequate job as well. Ultimately, you take away the negative rushing yardage from Stetson Bennett as a whole, and of course, Brock Bowers lost a couple yards there running the football as well. You're looking at a day in which you only ran for about 150, 155 yards, which is kind of below what you would anticipate from Georgia, especially against a defense that just gave up a whole bunch of yardage to the Michigan Wolverines. Thought they would lean on the run game a little bit more. They didn't. They actually powered their quarterback a little bit more couple of key moments in the game. We've already talked about the touchdown by Arian Smith. We already talked about the interception, which was a bad decision from Stetson Bennett, trying to force it on the back shoulder when he should have thrown it up and over the top and allowed Macintosh to run under it. But the worst moment of the game by a mile, and it's not even close was what happened in the final drive for the Ohio state Buckeyes. The first Gosh, the first seven plays or the first four plays on the seven play drive. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. CJ Stroud gets a run. 42 seconds left. Gets a run for five yards. Gets the drive started. Then he completes a pass to Julian Fleming. Then he has that really nice run that gets them down to the Georgia 31 yard line after nobody was home. I mean, the. Red Sea departed and everybody and their brother was out in coverage. Well, there was nobody on the quarterback. He took off and turned it into a big gain. At that point, they're already in field goal range, or they're at least close to field goal range, considering their kicker had already made Ruggles had already made from 48 just a couple plays earlier. Here's where the problems ensued. Georgia called timeout. All right. When you're at the 31-yard line, I'm just telling you this as someone that has played the game both in college and the NFL. The first thing I'm thinking as a quarterback when I get to the 31-yard line is they're going to bring pressure. Why are they going to bring pressure? Because they have to knock me out of field goal range. I already know I'm in field goal range. I'm, I already know it. So what are they going to do? They're going to bring pressure to try to knock me out of field goal range. All right, so I know that. And to double down on that fact... Georgia calls timeout at that point so they can set their pressure packages, okay? When Georgia calls timeout, what do you think's happening? He's going to talk to his entire defense. Hey, guys, we got to heat him up. We got to knock him out of field goal range. This is going to be the pressure on first down. This is going to be the pressure on second down. This is going to be the pressure on third down. Make sure everybody's good. Go out. Hey, don't be afraid to, you know, if you got to do what you got to (laughs) do, you know, to make sure that we can force these guys behind the line of scrimmage. So they go on the field knowing it's going to be pressure. And what does Ohio state try to do? They try to run a stretch zone right into pressure on the left-hand side. Terrible call. They end up losing one. Now, Hey, Georgia just showed their hand. You know, they're bringing pressure. What do you decide to do? You decide to throw a slant on the next play to the inside. One of the few plays I felt all game long where Keely Ringo did a pretty good job in coverage, but why? well they're co- they're bringing the heat. They got inside leverage on the corner on the outside. why are you running a slant. When you have blitzers, you want to throw to either slot receivers or you want to throw outbreaking routes. Why because of inside leverage. They try to throw an inside they try to throw a slant to the outside on the right incomplete third and 11. Now you're way behind the sticks. You absolutely have to get positive yardage here on third down or else you're going to expect your kicker to kick a 50-yard field goal under the most immense possible pressure. And as, by the way, we're in college. You don't have you know Justin Tucker going out there. He's going to drain it from 60. You have a college kicker. Well, what do you do on third and 10? You have run around. It's just an awful design. Awful. I, th- that was butchered. I don't I don't know how else to tell you. Those final three plays by the Ohio State offense, completely butchered. I thought they could have called such a better play on both second down and on third down to force the Georgia defense to defend a much shorter field goal from Noah Ruggles. Noah Ruggles, I'm sure, is getting destroyed. It's not his fault. It's on his coach, and it's on his offense's his inability to execute when you're obviously going to be facing a blitz package from Georgia. Either way, Georgia survives, Georgia wins, and it was an awesome, just an incredible two-minute drive right down the field. We already documented that route by A.D. Mitchell to ultimately win the game, but Stetson Bennett at that point was not playing very good football, really in the second and the third quarter. He started the game 9 of 10. The second and the third quarter, he kind of went to sleep a little bit, finished 3 of 11 there in that next sequence and then ultimately he got things going as the game went along did have a couple penalties but either way man just an incredible performance from him a resilient performance from him through for nearly 400 yards in the process and engineered a drive that will they will remember forever around Athens and around the entire state of Georgia let's talk about it is brought to you by AT&T 5G too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area, See at and slash 5G for you for details. All right, moving on now to a game we play just about every single Monday. It's low-hanging fruit. Coops, kick it off. All right, first one. Between the bowl games on Friday and Saturday, this bowl season is the best bowl season of all time. Low-hanging fruit or truth? It's got to be truth. Uh, and, and part of the reason why, and look, I, I'm a prisoner of the moment, right? We all are. Okay. But think about how this bowl season started. All right. Miami, Ohio played against UAB, and they had a play at the end of the game that resembled the Super Bowl when the Titans were stopped on the one yard line. So that's how the bowl season started. All right. And since then, think about the performances by underdogs up to this point. All right. Troy was an underdog, won that game outright. That actually followed. Miami and UAB. Oregon State was a dog game. Louisville-Cincinnati was a dog game. Washington State-Fresno was a dog game. But really, if you look at the other three games that first Saturday, BYU-SMU came down to a two-point conversion. Boise State-North Texas, unbelievable game. Southern Miss and Rice. Rice made it really interesting, especially there in the second half. You move along, yeah, Marshall and UConn, not really that not exciting. Eastern Michigan-San Jose State, not bad. Toledo-Liberty, very Very exciting game there, even though it was a little bit low scoring because Liberty made it very interesting in the second half. I mean, if you really just go on through it, all the games leading up to this point, yes, we've had some duds. There have been a few. Louisiana Houston came down to the very end. Uh, Middle Tennessee San Diego State on Christmas Eve came down to the very end. Buffalo Georgia Southern came down to the very end. Coastal Carolina and East Carolina was interesting for a moment until East Carolina had a performance for the ages there in the second half of that football game. But either way, pretty interesting. uh, Wisconsin-Oklahoma State felt like a complete dud until Oklahoma State scored those 10 fourth quarter points to get it within striking distance. Oregon-North Carolina, unbelievable game. Arkansas-Kansas, the game of the century. Texas Tech-Ole Miss- not that competitive, but either way, kind of interesting because Ole Miss started to make a bit of a charge there a little bit late. Washington, Texas had its moments. Oklahoma, Florida State had their moments. Shoot, Syracuse, Minnesota was pretty exciting, at least there at the very end. Tennessee-Clemson, not a great game. Hit UCLA. Ridiculous. Maryland-NC State, ridiculous because it was never not a one-score game. Notre Dame's comeback against South Carolina was unbelievable. Ohio and Wyoming goes to overtime. And, of course, you have these semifinal games. I mean, give me give me a break. Like, What more could you ask for? I mean, it really was highly competitive from the very beginning. And the best part, we still have several games today. So hopefully those will deliver the same way those did throughout the last week, a week and a half, two weeks. So good. So much fun. All right, next one. The officials played a bigger role in the CFP outcome than they should have. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Truth. If you really think about it, they had more of an impact in the TCU-Michigan game than I probably would have liked. Now, it could have been an even more significant impact if the targeting at the end had been called. I'm glad it wasn't, to be honest with you. I just don't think Michigan should have been bailed out in that circumstance. And if you look at the actual hit that was delivered, I mean, yes, he was leading with his shoulder. The crown of the helmet did get involved, especially along the face mask or so. So I I didn't have a problem with the no call. Had it been called, then the officials really would have weighed in. Obviously, everyone's going to talk about the touchdown that was ultimately called short when it should have been a touchdown. I thought it should have been a touchdown, but y'all the NFL has issues with this. They have officials that are full-time and staff the best officials in the world. And yet they still screw up catch no catch all the time. Why? Because catch no catch is a very difficult rule to cover. I know you're going to say, well, how, how difficult is it to determine whether or not a guy catches the ball? Well, partly because when does the catch get secured? Where's his body relative to when it gets secured? That's a little bit more difficult rule than I think some people like to assume. I'm sure if you're against Michigan, you're like, it was the right call. I'm sure if you're for Michigan, you're probably sitting there thinking it was the wrong call. But ultimately, I thought as an unbiased observer, I thought it should have been called a touchdown. What made it worse, though, was that Michigan totally butchered the next play, fumbled into the end zone and got no points out of it. So. There were a handful of calls in that game that were a little bit of an issue. And then on the other side, Ohio State and Georgia, there was one moment, well, a couple moments where people are probably going to say, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, bad call, bad spot. Brock Bowers, of course, staying in bounds, having that left hand in bounds when his whole body is out to be able to extend the ball beyond the line to gain. That was a significant moment for the officials. They got it right. The throw-it-up sea of hands to Marvin Harrison targeting review after looking at it a bunch. I thought it kind of looked like he was launching towards the head or neck area. People say, well, it was helmet-to-helmet. Helmet. No, that's not targeting. Targeting is actually forcible contact to the header-neck area of a defenseless player. He was defenseless, but in order for it to be targeting, there has to be an indicator. And the indicator is a launch, basically an upward thrust, a launch, It didn't feel like he launched. I I didn't think he launched. And that, of course, similar to what we just described, that would have been a bailout for Ohio State because it was a prayer situation. It would have been a real bailout for them after a really bad play. So I was good with the no-call and the targeting there. So I I thought the officiating, for the most part, in the second game wasn't nearly as bad as the officiating I felt at some times There in the first game. Either way, it did play a factor because people are talking about it. And ultimately, when you're the official, you want to be part of the story, not the story. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case with both these semifinal games. All right. This last one's a tough one, but an honest question. Both Michigan and Ohio State choked. Low hanging fruit or truth? I don't want to say they choked. Um, At all. I I think Michigan obviously shot themselves in the foot a lot. Uh, There's no denying. But is that considered choking? Because I, I feel like that's doing a disservice to both Georgia and TCU. TCU played really well. I mean, TCU forced those interceptions. It's not like they were fluky picks. I mean, especially the first one. I mean, it was I mean, it was a great defensive play to undercut the out route. So, they definitely butchered a couple plays. I thought the sequence on the opening drive inside the two-yard line was a disaster. I thought the fumble, obviously, after the ruling overturned the touchdown was a disaster and a dumb call because that's a quick exchange that happens when a lot of chaos is going on. So, I thought those were dumb calls. So, if you want to quantify that as choking, go ahead. I, I don't view it that way personally. But I just view it as, man, I can't believe they shot themselves in the foot as often as they did. But ultimately, man, they were still competitive, and they were coming back in the game. Just every time they got close, TCU would have an answer. So I feel like if you're saying that one team choked, you're kind of taking away from what the other team did. And I want to give more credit to TCU than I want to do buried Michigan. And on the other side, Ohio State, the three plays that we talked about at the end of the game, Still, even if you gain three, four, five yards of play, you're still having to kick a 35-yard game winner as opposed to a 50-yard game winner. So yes, that was a butchered sequence there at the end of the game. Yes, Ohio State definitely played poorly in the fourth quarter of that football game, but that would be taking away from what Michigan did. Or excuse me, taking away from what Georgia did. Georgia played really well there in the fourth quarter, and they took advantage of the mistakes that Ohio State made. So... I don't think it would be fair to say that those two teams choked. I think, like I said, I never say choke. I always try to give credit to the opposition. I'll tell you when it's time to be critical as well. But ultimately, I can't sit here and give you the they choked it away nonsense. I just think that's low-hanging fruit. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, final thought. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this game because it wasn't a super competitive game. But how about Bryce Young and the performance from the Alabama Crimson Tide there in the all Sugar Bowl there on Saturday morning, man. It was ugly at early. It was ugly early. It was real ugly. As Kansas State got out to a really big lead, everyone's starting to sit there. I got buddies blowing me up. We don't want to be here. We look awful. You know, I mean, wear me out. <laughs> but it was a really strong both second quarter and third quarter performance to distance themselves from the Kansas State Wildcats. You guys all know how much I respect Kansas State. They're awesome. I have nothing but love. For the Wildcats, I have nothing but love for Chris Kleiman. But the day was Bryce Young's, and the day was the Alabama offense. I thought Bryce Young missed a couple throws early, but man, if you look at how he played down the stretch, he did miss his first couple throws, but man, he finished 15 of 18 after he missed those first few. So to play that well and going for five touchdowns, hitting receivers downfield, I thought Jermaine Burton you could make a case he had the best game that he's had in an Alabama uniform. But thought Ja'Cory Brooks, the touchdown throw to the back right corner was insane. I thought Bryce Young played as well as he's played all season long, and that's certainly saying something because we know just how good Bryce Young has been throughout the course of his career and what it means to Alabama to see him on the field and to play at a level like that. It says an awful lot about his personal competitive temperament It says a lot about what he wanted to do as a competitor to go out and finish the right way amongst his teammates. I didn't think defensively they played great. There were definitely a few things that they wanted to clean up, especially in the first drive or so. They gave the big run to Deuce Vaughn. That was an 88-yarder out the gate. But other than that, man, I thought they did a really good job. They made life very difficult for Will Howard. They got their hands on a couple passes. And really outside of the one long run from Deuce Vaughn, they held them to 21 carries for about you know 50 yards or so. And that's it's pretty good. <laughs> However, you can't give up the big one. Either way, Alabama showed that they are a little bit like that 2015 version of Ohio State. If they had gotten in the playoff, who knows what kind of damage they would have done? Remember that 2015 version of Ohio State? They lost to Michigan State early in the season. It was a horrible performance. And they looked bad in the process, but ultimately they ran rough shot through just about everybody after that loss. Well, that's kind of what Alabama did down the stretch. They didn't play great against Ole Miss, but they found a way to win. And they absolutely rolled everybody else and left no doubt in a bowl game in which people were wondering whether or not they wanted to be there. You know Alabama will be back. You know Alabama will be a factor in 2023 and beyond, especially with some of the young players that they have returning. To the roster. But I can tell you this my goodness, the shoes that you're going to have to fill at quarterback could not be any bigger. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. I really appreciate you being with us. It's been awesome documenting the semifinal games, it's been awesome documenting the bowl games. We have had a blast all year long, but we're not done. We still have a week before we crown a national champion. So we're going to be live from Los Angeles starting this weekend. We're going to do a live studio audience show at some point. We don't know the details just yet, but it's going to happen. So we look forward to you guys being there asking us questions. If you're going to the national championship game, keep it locked in right here. I'll tell you where you could find us because I don't know at this point. I'm just glad to be back in my house. I don't know how I found my way home after being in Bristol and then Miami and then Atlanta. Somehow I returned, I returned at one piece, but I'd be lying if I feel great. That's for sure. Let's rest up. We have a big week. We got a lot of great games to look forward to today, including uh, what are we going to see from the LSU Tigers? LSU's is taking on Big Ten West champion Purdue. We got Tulane Green Wave taking on the USC Trojans. Penn State's Utah, of course, we got that going here in just a little bit, and You got Mississippi State and Illinois. So buckle up. We have a great day to look forward to today. And we hope you guys are as excited as we are for the games that are coming up today. But keep it locked in right here at Always College Football for the next five days because nobody will get you more prepared for the national championship than us here at Always College Football. For Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. This has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G.